pray that your name is written down in glory in the Lamb's book of life. There's no other place where you need your name than right there in God's book. Because if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, guess what? You will live for eternity, forever and forever and forever, in the very presence of holy God. My prayer is that every person in this room has their name written down in glory. And he really is yours, and he really is mine. Amen. Uh, Jerry Schmidt, would you lead us in prayer, please, sir? Yes. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. We'll be in First Thessalonians three if you want to turn there. Verses eleven through thirteen. Of the themes that have been known, one supremely stands alone. Through the ages it is shown, tis its wonderful, wonderful love. Love is the theme, love is supreme, sweeter it grows, glory bestows, bright as the sun, ever it shines, love is the theme the eternal theme. That is the title of the message today. Love is the theme. If you didn't recognize that, that was a hymn that's in your hymn book. Love is the theme. I'm sure you would have recognized it better if I had sung it. No problem. You probably would not have recognized it better. Love is the theme. We're going to look at that today. Many people that are born... Uh, some God has given a birthmark to. Maybe some of you have a birthmark that is obvious or maybe it's not obvious. I mean, if you're as close to my age or just a little bit uh, uh, younger than I am, you would probably recognize what I would consider one of the most famous birthmarks of all. And that was on that Russian leader, Mikhail Gorbachev. You remember him? He had the Bald head, okay, but he had that little little birthmark right there on top of his head. And if you just saw the birthmark, you would have automatically known that's who it is because it's just such an identifying kind of a thing. Uh, I thought about another birthmark, and I don't know if it is or not, but I thought of, of the model Cindy Crawford. I don't know why I'm thinking of her, but that just came to my mind. That's got to be a Lord thing, you know. And she had that little mole right, kind of right there, okay? And I was going to talk about that, but when I pulled up a picture of her on my computer, the mole was not there. So maybe she has gotten rid of that little, little birthmark. I don't know. But a birthmark is kind of unique for, for every person that, that has one. Sometimes we also get trademarks. We know about trademarks, do we not? If you're out doing your thing and you see somebody on their shirt or on their shorts or on their shoes or whatever, and it's a little swoosh, little check mark kind of a thing, you automatically know what? That that is a Nike product. 
Nike doesn't have to put their name on it, doesn't have to pronounce Nike anywhere. You just see that little check mark kind of looking deal, and you automatically know that that is Nike, that is their trademark. Or if you're driving around town somewhere, and you drive and you see the golden arches, that's a trademark for what? For McDonald's, sure. They don't have to put a big sign that says McDonald's. They just put those golden arches up there, and everybody knows that is their trademark, unique only to them. So we get birthmarks, and we get, and the companies have trademarks. And, and would you believe? Would you believe that every Christian in this room, God has given you a birthmark or a trademark? Did you know that? Every one of us in here who has been born again, we have a birthmark. Well, you say, no, I don't know. Don, is it your freckles? No, it's not my freckles. The birthmark of every Christian, the Bible says, is love. Is love. I'm going to read a verse to you. John 13, 34 and 35 that proves this. That our birthmarks as Christians is love. A unique marking that people will recognize us because of our love. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. A new commandment I give you. That you love one another, even as I, Jesus says, have loved you, love one another. Verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Christians, our birthmark is that we love one another. There is no getting around that. Our birthmark, our trademark, people when they see us ought to know that that guy, that gal is a believer. That gal has been born again. That gal and that guy have given their heart and life to Jesus because love must flow from us. Because that is our birthmark. I hope this church has a birthmark. The Church of Arapahoe First Baptist Church has a birthmark. And that is that we love one another and we love all people. One of the first things that we noticed, Rhonda and I, when we started coming here was the love that this, that this church oozed. We want to keep that oozing of love. Okay? That should be our trademark. That should be what is unique to the First Baptist Church of Arapahoe, to the people of Arapahoe, and the people of the surrounding area. And that is that we love you, that we love you. Let's go to our verses here. First Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. Let's see what it, what it has to say here. And, and these three verses, Paul is expressing a prayer. He is praying to the Lord. And uh, he's praying about the people of Thessalonica. And we can apply it to our lives and we can apply it to this church. So let's see what it says here during this prayer. He says, Now our Lord, now our God and Father himself, and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. I mean, he's praying, praying to God. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love 
for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. And in verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Verse 11, let's kind of go back to there. We see Paul is praying to God the Father. You see, Paul was not praying to some statue. He was not praying to the Virgin Mary. He was not praying to some pastor or preacher or priest. He was praying to the sovereign God of the universe. He was praying for the God who created and made everything. He is the God who he's praying to, who gives and takes away. He is praying to the God who loves us in love and brings judgment when we need judgment. He is the God who, who tells the rain to fall. He's the God who says the wind to blow. He's the God who says, grass, you grow. Flowers, you bloom. That's the God he is praying to. Do you understand what I'm saying? He is God Almighty. He, he is praying to the God who sees all and hears all and knows all. And in spite of that, loves all. That is God Almighty. And contrary to what the world might tell us and what contrary to what our government might tell us, He is the God who controls global warming. He is the God who controls the climate out there. He decides when it's hot and he decides when it's cold. And Paul is praying to that God, the God Almighty, the sovereign God of the universe. What a privilege Paul would have to be able to pray to God Almighty. And guess what? We get to pray to the same God. The same God that Paul prayed to 2,000 years ago. We get to pray to him daily. We get to pray because he has not changed from back there to today. And he won't change in the future. We get, to, we get to come to Almighty God. And we get to come and to submit our lives to him. And humbly come to him. And humbly ask him. And humbly to seek him. And humbly asking for an answer to this prayer. This petition that we might have. And when he gives it, Almighty God, what we need to do is accept the answer that he gives us. That's who we pray to. The Almighty God of the universe. Verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And for all people, just as we also do for you. You see what he tells us to do here? See how Paul is praying for those people in that church? He, Paul says, I am praying for you that you would increase and abound in your love for one another. You know, I got to thinking about that. That's, that's probably really not a hard thing to do, to increase your love for one another. I mean, you get to pick who one another is, I guess. <laughs> you know, I guess you could. That's not a hard thing to do. You know, yeah, we got to love one another. Yeah, we've heard that. We've heard that, Don. But if you look at the next phrase, right after one another, 
And it says, and for all people. And for all people. See, that word increase means to multiply over and over again. The word abound means to exceed or to overflow, if you would. What is Paul asking us and telling us and praying for his people to do? He said, I am praying for you that your love for one another and for all people will multiply and grow bigger and bigger. I'm praying that your love will abound or exceed or overflow, if you would, to one another, but also to all people. That is something, isn't it? That is something that maybe we choose to not to do. You mean, Paul, you're telling me, and you're telling them, and you're telling us that we are to love one another? Yes. We are to love all people? Yes. You mean we're supposed to love the unlovable and the unforgivable? Yeah. You mean we're supposed to love those who look different than we do? Are we to love the unattractive, the elderly, or the sick? It says all people, does it not? Are we to love the poor, to love the sinner, love the homeless, love the prisoner, love the spiteful person? He says all people that we are to love. Are we to love the, the woman that had an abortion? Are we to love that drug addict? Are we to love that neighbor who has said some very evil things about you? Are we to love that person who sits on my pew or the other side of the church? Paul says we love one another, but we are called to love all people. The birthmark of this church and the birthmark of you as born again is to love one another and to love everyone. You mean, Paul, I'm supposed to love those kind of folks that were on that list? Paul, you mean to tell me that my love has to increase, multiply, overflow for those kind of people? Paul, that, that is impossible, humanly speaking, to do. Paul, I, Paul, that's impossible, humanly speaking. I, no, Paul, I just, I cannot do that. And you know what? I got good news for you. You can't do it. <laughs> you just can't do it. You can't love like Paul has asked us to love in this old body. You just can't do it. Because we've all been there, haven't we? We've all had somebody do something. Somebody say something. Somebody that causes us problems in our life. And, and we have to deal with that. Paul says, I want your love, not just to love them. I want your, your love to increase and exceed and to overflow towards them and I'm here to tell you what you can't do that in your own strength can you you can't do that from your own willpower you can't muster up enough oomph in your life and say yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna love that person no matter what ah! because you can't do it but I'm gonna tell you something 
You can. There is a way. There is a way to love the unlovable. There is a way to love the unforgettable. Well, how's that? Well, there's one source that you can draw from. The only source that you can draw from that will create in you enough love to love those folks that you just don't want to love. And that source is who? That source is the Lord. The one that you have been praying to. That is the source. That is the only source. Paul knew that that would be impossible to do without the love of God living within you. He knew how difficult it was to love folks that have, that have offended you and have hurt you and have smeared you and made fun of you. He knew you couldn't do it on your own. But Paul said there is a source much stronger than yours, much bigger than yours, and that source is the Lord. And He will give you what you need in order to love the unlovable and to forgive the unforgivable. Matthew twenty two thirty nine says this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment, it says. This is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You're to love one another just as I have loved you. Sacrificially selflessly uncompromisingly unconditionally that's how God loves us not a lot of amens today is there <laughs> First John 4 7 beloved let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God God is love. For every Christian in this room, God abides in you. The supreme God of the universe lives in you through the Holy Spirit. And if God is love and God lives in you through the Holy Spirit, guess what? What should be coming out from you? Yeah, love. You guessed it. 1 Peter 1.22 says this. Since you have an obedience to the truth... You've been obedient to the truth. Purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Loving from the heart is different than loving from the mind. Love from the heart, he said. We'll, we'll talk about that later. So what kind of love is, is Paul talking about here? The kind of love that we have to love and forgive and those kind of things. What's he talking about here? Well, he could be talking about the passionate, or, the, or in the Greek, the eros love. The love that, that a man and a woman has for each other. Well, let me, let me just kind of rephrase that. The love that a man has for his female wife. That kind of love is passionate. Eros, it says. That word is not used in the New Testament, so... The kind of love Paul's talking about is not it. That's not it. Or is he talking about affectionate or in the Greek it's called storage. Is that the kind of love he's talking about? And that refers to the kind of love a parent has for their children. 
or a brother has for other family members. It's, it's family kind of love. And you look in the New Testament, that word's not in there either. So it can't be that. Well, how about enduring love? Or this is probably one you've heard, philia, uh, Philadelphia, brotherly love. And it talks about a friendship and, and the, 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 the love and the, and, and, the, and the camaraderie that friends have with each other. That kind of a brotherly love. He could be talking about that, yeah. Because that word is used in the New Testament. It could be that. But I think, it, I think it's talking about a different kind of love. A, a different love that goes a little deeper than that. And it's called agape love. Agape love. That's what he's asking us to do. To love one another and to love all is with this agape love. Agape love is the love of God that abides in every believer. Agape love is selfless, it's sacrificial, it is unconditional, and it is uncompromising. That is loving without any strings attached. It is love that says, this person does not deserve to be loved, but I'm going to love you anyway. This love says, you are not worthy of my love. Agape love says, I'm going to love you anyway. Is that not how God loves us? It is. He loves us when we don't deserve it. He loves us when we're so unworthy. And if He abides in us, that must come from us. It must flow from us. It must overflow from us. God pictures this kind of love in a couple of verses here that I want to give to you. God's love... For the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad that Christ died for the ungodly? Aren't you glad Christ died for the ungodly? Because you know what? One time in your life, that was you. That was you. You were ungodly. You had not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the Bible says you were ungodly because you had rejected Him. And aren't you glad Christ died for the ungodly? Boy, I I don't know about you, but I sure am. God's love is pictured because He loves sinners. Romans 5, 8. For God demonstrated His love for us that while we were yet sinners, God died for us. Jesus died for us. Aren't you glad He died for us when we were a sinner? Amen. Amen. If he hadn't, we don't need to be here. We can just close the doors. But he died for sinners. We also see Agape's love in this verse. And it's it's the love for the undeserving enemies of God. Romans 5.10. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And much more, we've been reconciled. We shall be saved by his life. Aren't you glad when we were an enemy of the, of the Father that Jesus died for us? And we accepted Him as Lord and Savior. Guess what happened to us? We were reconciled to God. We were made right with God. The Bible says it is as if we had never sinned. The slate has been wiped clean. We've been reconciled through His death 
and we have the abundant life through his life. I am so glad that he's done that. The Bible tells us the greatest gift that we can receive is love. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says this, But now faith, hope, and love abide. But the greatest of these is love. That's not eros love. That's not storage love. That's not philia love. That is agape love. Unconditional, unselfish, sacrificial love that we have received. If we have born again and we have received that kind of love, friends, Christians, that love has to flow out of us, has to come out of this. Why? Why? Because, number one, that's, what, that's, the reason, that's how God loves us. Agape love. Unconditional. Uncompromising. <laughs> he doesn't change his love for us if you, if you mess up, boys and girls. He still loves us. Agape love. Unconditional. Still loves us. Wow. Second reason is God's commanded us to love like this. Like I said, it wasn't a suggestion. It's a command that we are to love one another and to love all people. And the third reason is, is we see it in verse 13 here of, those, of that verse there. It says, so that we may establish, that he may establish our hearts, God establish our hearts, without blame and holiness before God and the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. You see, uh, number one, we know Jesus is coming back. We talked about that last week. Res, uh, rapture time. And I think he's saying in this verse, as Paul is reminding them, that children of God, followers of Christ, I want you to be obedient to what, what God has asked us to do and told us to do. I want you to be obedient. Because you see, obedience leaves, lead, leads to holiness. The Bible tells us we are to live holy lives. I don't know how that's hard to do, but it, that's what he says. And he says, I want you, if the Lord were to come back today, Paul says. And Don says, if the Lord were to come back today. He says, I want you, I want us, I want all of us here to live obedient and holy lives. Because he's coming back one day to get us. And when he does, Paul says, I want you to be ready. I want you to be right. I want you to be just exactly where you need to be. Lovingly being obedient to the Lord and living holy lives. That's what Paul is wanting them to do. That's what Don is wanting you to do. To be able to live that way just in case <laughs> he decides. Time up. I'm going to go get my children. What a beautiful thought. But I know what some of you are thinking. Because I'm human just like you. You know, Don, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to love all people. I just don't. I'll, I'll pick and choose who I want, one another. But I, I, I just don't feel it. I don't feel it. I don't want to do it. It ain't happening, Don. I can see it on your face, some of you. I'm not going to who you are, but I can tell. I ain't going to do that. Well, it can affect your Christian life. Did you know that? Because when you, when you tell God, I ain't, I ain't going to do that, 
Or, I know what you said, God, but that's not in my realm of wanting to do things. It can affect your Christian walk. Because you see, that is being out of obedience. That is, that is not being living a holy life. And, and here's a word that nobody ever wants to hear is, that's just sin. That is just sin when we choose not to be obedient to God's word. Hmm. One area in your life that will be affected will be your prayer life. Your prayer life will be affected. Well, you know, I, I kind of pray some, but, but I, I kind of wait until the big things are happening in my life. When, when life starts crashing or I see an issue or I got a disease or I got a family member that has a disease, boy, I, at that point, man, I'm, I'm on top of that. I got to pray. But other than that, I'm good. I can do it all myself. I can handle all this. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Don't take Don's opinion. Take the Bible's opinion. Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I regard wickedness in my heart, that's sin, the Lord will not hear. You see, that wickedness I regard, that means to linger, to let it set, means to be unconfessed. If I let sin, wickedness linger in my heart, what does that word say? It says, God will not hear your prayer. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, another great verse, two verses there. It says, but Behold, the Lord's hand is not too short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that, it cannot, that he cannot hear. But here is the second part. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. You see, disobedience to God's word causes those prayers maybe to not get past the ceiling. I mean, he can hear them if he wants to. But I would suggest maybe just spend your time doing something else. If that is what you're thinking, if that's what you say, if that's what you want to do, okay. But I'm telling you, it affects your prayer life. An unrepentant heart could literally hinder or stop your prayer life. Mark 11, 25 and 26. Let me give you another one here. That kind of ties into with all this, I believe. It says, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. For your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you of your transgressions. 26. But if you do not forgive, your Father who is in heaven will not forgive your transgressions. You see, He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to do what He's told us to do. He wants us to be able to pray freely. But I got another verse that's a positive one too. Okay, let me give you that one here first. I gave you three negatives. Let me give you one positive. And it's praying from obedience. 1 John 3, 21 and 22. He says, Beloved, if your heart does not condemn you, and, and our heart condemns us when we have unconfessed sin or disobedience. It says, If your heart does not condemn you, then we have confidence before God. 
I don't know about you, but man, if I'm if I have confessed up and I'm good to go and I know I'm right with God, I don't I don't mind going to the I can go boldly through the throne room of God. I don't mind doing that at all. But man, if I'm living a life and it's like, man, I, I know I should be doing this, man. I know that I've got unconfessed sin, man. I just I just I just can't do that. I can tell you what. You you're not fired up about going to the throne room of grace. You don't have, it says, confidence before God because you have this unconfessed sin. And he said he wants that. He wants us to be confessed up. And then you can have confidence and boldness and you can ask the Lord anything you want to ask him. And he'll give you an answer. That is a good thing. Verse 22 of that says this. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. And do the things that are pleasing to Him. Okay, that's, that's, if we keep His commandments, obedience. We do the things that are pleasing to Him, obedience. He is more than willing to answer that prayer according to His will and according to His goodness. We are to love. Our love should increase and abound for one another and for all people. How do we apply this? How does, it, how does that affect us today? What do we need to do about this, this message? Well, I would suggest to you the first place we need to go is with our love is our family. If you've got issues within your family, if you struggle to love a family member, if your love is not increasing and multiplying for them, if it's not abounding or exceeding, you need to go first for that family. And get that straight. That's biblical. Go to that family. Get healed. Do what you can to reconcile. And then after that, I would suggest to you that we need to learn to love those folks who are sitting on your pew. Folks that are sitting on your pew. I would suggest to you you need to learn to love those folks who are sitting on the other side of the room from you. You see, if a trademark of Arapahoe First Baptist Church is love, you, gotta, you need to love your family, and you've got to love the folks that gather every Sunday to worship Him. How can you have something against another born-again believer that sits in this room praising God, worshiping God, and yet you don't even like Him? Oh, my goodness. The Bible says, you regard wickedness and sinfulness in your heart. He will not hear you pray. You see, the trademark of this church has to be love for one another. Love for all persons. Has to be. Or else we just need to close the doors. Because the Bible says, the world will know us by the way we love other people. That is our birthmark. That is our trademark. Do we, do I, do you love other people? Do you love all all persons? Paul says, I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying, church, that your love will increase and multiply for those people that are sitting in your congregation. This week I prayed that prayer for this church body. 
that individuals, our love will abound and exceed to other folks. And that this body right here, their love for each other, their love for the Lord and their love for each other will increase and multiply and exceed and overflow towards other people. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We're here to love. We're here to love other people. We're here to love the Lord. And we're here to love all people. Do I agree with all people? No. That doesn't mean... To love folks doesn't mean you have to agree with them. But you still love them. That list that I read, the, the thing about that list, every person has the same problem. Whatever it might be, drugs or alcohol or abuse or, I mean, whatever, hatred, whatever. They still just have one problem. And that problem is called sin in their life. And we can mask it however we want to. But that is, sin is disobedience to God. And most of us in here were only one confession away from being just like that. God loves us. God lives in us. God's love flows from us to all people. Trisha, as we begin our imitation time, Trish. I don't know how God has spoken to you. But to the very best of my ability, I have tried to give you what God's Word says. It's not might not be easy. <laughs> it's not. But if I don't tell you what the Bible says, I have cheated you. I have failed you. You might not want to hear it. But I also believe that maybe sometimes on a message like this, God wants to convict somebody. God wants to convict somebody's to get right with the Lord, to get right with your neighbor. So as we bow our heads for our invitation time, I'm just going to allow you to do business with God. And if it means going over to say something to somebody, uh, we got the time. If it means you need to go to some family member today, get over there to them. Don't put it off. What you know to do, don't put it off. Because the longer you put off doing what you know to do, just loving other folks, all you're doing is giving the enemy a big old crack in the door of your life. And the longer you wait, the longer you put it off, the longer you don't do what God has told us to do, the harder it'll be. Because now Satan's got a little more push within your family. As the piano plays, you do business with God. The altars are open. Free to use them. I'll be up here. I'm asking God to do what he needs to do today in the lives of this church.